Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvot Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. We are located at the corner of Boulevard and Grove, across from the Art Museum. For more information, you can visit our website at tikvotisrael.com. There, you can support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and contact us with any questions or comments. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. So then I said, because if they flew over the bay, they'd be bagels. What I have just done is I have given you the punchline to a joke, but I have not given you the setup. It's, uh, it's kind of funny, but it, it's a little empty, right? Would you say? Yeah. What is a joke with just the punchline? What is a, a roof with no house under it? As a Messianic Jew, this is my analogy for the story of Yeshua, that is, the gospel, without the story of Israel. We understand that Yeshua is fulfilling and bringing to fullness the first part of the good book. But even this analogy breaks down. There's, there's even more to it than that. Is God's election of Israel merely a means to an end? To put it another way, does the existence of the roof just point to the need for the foundation of the house? Or is there something more fundamental about God's covenant with Avraham through which we can actually understand the good news, the story of Yeshua? I've talked about how theology can be seen as narrative or story um, before. This is not to say that it is merely a story, but that the Bible is primarily a, a story or a narrative, meaning it's a sequence of historic events. Um, and story is also the primary vehicle for how cultures form meaning and identity and purpose and direction. And at the end of the Gospel of John, chapter 21, in the very last verses of the Gospel, this is 24 and 25, this is what it says. This one is the Talmud, meaning the disciple or student, who is testifying about these things and who has recorded them. And we know that his testimony is true. But there are also many other things Yeshua did. And if they were all to be recorded, I don't think the whole world could contain the books that would have to be written. In other words, John, this is the, 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 the student that he's talking, he's talking about himself, he couldn't physically write everything down that Yeshua did. There wouldn't be enough books in the whole world to fill to explain what Yeshua did. So then we have to ask, well, what did he write? right? What did he actually put down? He related enough so that we would know that the testimony is true and that Yeshua is the Son of God. And if you read through the book of John, that's the sense that you get, right? That's the the picture of Yeshua that he's trying to convey. And as the Bible is a very long book, it has been summarized over hundreds and hundreds of years in the historic church, usually as a four-point story. And I've talked about this before. Number one, you start with creation, 
where everything was, well, how was everything? Great. Not just great, but perfect, right? Perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship with others. Uh, It was the perfect marriage, you know, if you can imagine that. And then, number two is the quote-unquote fall of humankind, right? Which is a, it's a, It's a label that we've given to this story where we ate the fruit and we disobeyed God and sin and death entered the world. You could could look at it another way. You could say maybe it's the first mistake or something like that. But this is point number two. Point number three is the redemption of point number two. And that is the redemption in Yeshua's death and resurrection. And point number four is usually the consummation. That is the perfection of all things. Um, And so when the gospel is preached today, um, it's usually framed in these four points, right? And this goes all the way back, all the way back to Justin Martyr. This was a a Christian apologist. He wrote even before the New Testament was codified. So he wrote back in the 100s, if you can imagine that. And he established this way of telling the story that we have built upon, and now everyone tells it with these four points. And there are some good things, as I've said, that come out of this narrative, this theology. Specifically, of course, the redemption in Yeshua, point number three, which solves the sin problem, point number Two, that is very important, wouldn't we say? All right. So, but these four points, they leave out God's relationship with Israel, the physical descendants of Abraham. And so I think it's important, it's imperative that we, that we tell the story, that we tell the narrative in a way in which God's relationship with Abraham is fundamental. It's the foundational part, right? Otherwise, you have, a, you have a roof with no building, right? So there's something fundamental about this. Last week, I spoke on the Parsha Lech Lecha, uh, which is uh, get going, right? And the calling and covenant of Avraham. Remember, the main idea of God's covenantal relationship with Avraham was mediating blessing, Blessing all nations through, the important word, through the nation of Israel. Would we suppose that the coming of Messiah Yeshua would replace this plan? Would cause God to say, well, that's what I was doing, but I'm just going to scrap all that and start over and do a totally new thing. Would we suppose that is true? No, it can't be true. God is faithful. If indeed God is faithful, then the the imperative that he gave to Avraham, it should run throughout the scriptures. It should be one story of redemption, okay? And I would argue that the foundation for understanding Yeshua's story, the gospel itself, is the story of Avraham that we talked about last week. Otherwise, again, you have a punchline with no setup. You have a roof with no house. Not, no good, okay? The authors of the Greek scriptures, they, I think they agree with me because how do they start? They start with Avraham. In the first chapter of the apostolic writings, the first chapter of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, in the first two verses, this is what it says. This is the genealogy 
of Yeshua the Messiah. Who is he? Let me hear it again. Son of Avraham, right? Not just Abraham, because when you say it that way, it's like, you know, you're saying ham, which is not kosher, right? Avraham, okay? Son of Avraham. Avraham was the father of Yitzhak. Yitzhak was the father of Yaakov. Yaakov was the father of Judah, Yehuda, and his brothers. When Yeshua is introduced in the New Covenant writings, he is the son of Avraham. This is a significant claim. And that Yeshua is the son of Avraham, I think it means many things. It means many things. And I've laid this out, and I want to share it with you. Okay? Number one, do we have it? Oh, good. Okay? Number one, it anchors Yeshua in the genealogy that is the the literal descendants of the people of God, the Jewish people. This is a continuation of God's story. He's physically descended from Avraham. Number two, it reaffirms the faithfulness of God to the children of Avraham, the Jewish people, right? It points back to God's faithfulness. Number three, it shows that Avraham's relationship to God through trusting is brought to fullness in the story of Yeshua. It's not as though, whoa, what happened? We lost them. Oh, okay. Well, those are nice mountains, though. Okay. Uh, well, they'll be coming back, I'm sure. Um, it shows that God's, uh, that Abraham's relationship with God and in, in that he was made righteous by trusting is, is fulfilled. It's the same way that we relate to Yeshua, by trusting. Point number four, I think it links Yeshua's ministry to the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, which is mediating blessing through Israel to all the nations. Oh, it's back up. Thank you, Robert. Right? And number five, it brings to fullness, to completion, that promise, the mediating blessing, by enabling all nations to be included in the family of Abraham, adopted as sons through trusting in Yeshua. So these are the things that I want to talk about today. For these reasons, the first people who shared the good news, the gospel about Yeshua in the book of Acts, they framed it often in terms of Avraham. The first gospeling, or, you know, gospeling, sharing the gospel. Can I say that? I can, I can verb that, right? Hashtag adulting, hashtag gospeling. We can do that. The first gospeling after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit occurs in Acts chapter 3. This is the very beginning They just got the fullness of the Holy Spirit, right, in in, in Pentecost or Shavuot, and uh, they're going out and they're sharing, and Peter, otherwise known as Kepha, he brings the restorative kingdom of God by healing. He heals a man, and just like Yeshua did, and in his ministry, and uh, the people, the Jews around him are all astonished. So he explains it. In Acts 3, verses 12 through 13, this is what he says. Seeing this, Kepha, that is Peter, addressed the people. Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this, the the healing? Why do you stare at us as if we had made this man walk through some power or godliness of our own? Who did it? The God of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. The God of... Our fathers, the God of Israel, yes, amen, has glorified 
his servant Yeshua. Somebody say glorified. The same Yeshua you handed over and disowned before Pilate, even after he had decided to release him. This was the very generation that was partly responsible for the death of Yeshua, and yet the gospel is going out to them in faithfulness. The God of Abraham, the God of Israel, has glorified his servant Yeshua. And this is what brought the healing of this man, the redemption and the healing. The word here for glorified in the Greek is, uh, the root is doxa, which is um, the weight of glory and the honor and the presence of Hashem. Uh, It corresponds with the Hebrew word kavod. Have we heard this before? The weight of his glory, right? And it has the same connotations in Hebrew, kavod. Say kavod. Can we feel the heaviness of this? The presence of God in this word? Our traditional Kaddish, which we read just before the, the sermon, it carries this sense by which we glorify God. Yitgadal, yitkadash, right? He is magnified. He is set apart as holy. And later we say, yitbarach v'yishtabach. He is blessed, praised, glorified, exalted, extolled, honored, magnified, and lauded. Be the name or identity of the Holy One. So in other words, Yeshua is glorified. You take all those words and apply them to Yeshua by the God of Avraham. Do we see that? So this brief, this brief account that Peter is sharing the gospel, he does three things that I'm seeing. Number one, I think we have that one. He anchors the good news about Yeshua in the identity of God. It's that, that glory, that kavod, okay? Number two, he anchors the identity of God with Avraham and his children. This isn't just any God that's doing this, right? This is the God of our forefathers. This is the God of Avraham. And he anchors Yeshua with the identity of God as the one whom God himself glorified, exalted, and brought the fullness of his identity, his name, right? Purpose and presence. Amen? Okay. And then Peter continues. He, he keeps talking, and he shares this in a little bit later in verse uh, 25 and 26. This is in the same chapter, Acts chapter 3. You are the sons of the prophets, talking to Israel. And you are included in the covenant which God made with our fathers when he said to Abraham, by your seed will all the families of the earth be blessed. See, this is an important verse, not just to me, but to Peter, right? This is an important piece of the gospel. So it is to you first that God has sent his servant, whom he has raised up, so that he might bless you by turning each one of you from your evil ways. So he says, essentially, you, Israel, are included in the promise as children of Abraham, whom God has called to bring blessing to all nations. So therefore, he sent Yeshua to you first. This is why Paul says that the gospel, the story of Yeshua, goes to the Jew first. They are the children of Abraham. The very gospel itself The story of Yeshua is to go to and through. Can we say that? 
to and through Israel first. Okay, to the nation, to Israel, and then through Israel to the nations. This is mediating blessing. It's the same, the same imperative that God gave Abraham, right? The trusting of Abraham is the same as the trusting in Yeshua. It's a continuation of the same idea. And the narratives have the same order, right? The story of Abraham and the story of Yeshua, they're linked by this order to and through Israel. Let's look at another gospeling. Let's look at Stephen, okay? Stephen is about to die. He's, he's standing there. He's about to be stoned to death, okay? And when he shares the good news of Yeshua, this is what he says. This is in Acts chapter 7, verses 2 through 8. Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to Avraham. How often do we talk about Avraham when we share what Yeshua has done and is doing? But this is the way it's told. Avraham Avinu, our father in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Leave your land and your family and go into the land that I will show you. When he said, Leave your land, he said what? Lech Lecha, right? So he left the land of the Kazdim, the Chaldeans, and lived in Haran. After his father died, God made him move to this land, this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance in it, not even space for one foot. Yet he promised to give it to him as a possession and to his descendants after him, even though at the time he was childless. What God said to him was, your descendants will be aliens in a foreign land where they will be in slavery and oppressed for 400 years. But I will judge the nation that enslaves them, God said. And afterward, they will leave and worship me in this place, the land of Israel. And he gave him Brit Milah, which is circumcision. And so he became the father of Yitzchak and did his Brit Milah on the eighth day. And Yitzchak became the father of Yaakov. Yaakov became the father of the 12 patriarchs. And he keeps telling the rest of the story. He talks about Joseph from this point. But what do we see here? The faith and trust of Avraham, they are center stage as a response to lech lecha, go forth. This is trust or faith. And even though Avraham, he had no evidence of the inheritance at this time, he leaned on God, he relied on God to bring his descendants into the land and to bless them. He had no descendants, he had no children, and he was getting up there in age, but still he relied on God. We also see the confirmation of Jewish identity, that is, the circumcision by which Israel is set apart as confirmed, as the children of Abraham and the ones who inherit this covenant promise. Later on in Acts, Rav Shaul, otherwise known as the Apostle Paul, he enters, guess what, a synagogue to share the gospel, the good news. And this is even after he's been confirmed, his calling is not to the Jews. His calling is to the nations. That's Paul's personal calling. And yet, when he goes into a city, where's the first place he goes? He goes into the synagogue. Very interesting. And so he's bringing the story of Yeshua 
to the Jews first, mediating blessing through Israel to the nations. And this is what he says in Acts uh, 13, 14 through 17. So, on Shabbat, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the Torah and the prophets, um, they had uh, the same, uh, uh, very similar reading cycle to what we have today. The synagogue leaders sent them a message. Brothers, if any of you has a word of exhortation for the people, speak. Right? So just as Henry gave our our awesome drosh today, it was this day, it was Paul's turn. So Shaul stood, motioned with his hand, and said, Men of Israel and God-fearers, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers. That's how he starts. God of Israel chose our fathers. And then he says, he made the people great during the time when they were living as aliens in Egypt. And with an outstretched arm, he led them out of that land. Into what land? The land of promise, the land of Abraham. Shaul addresses the children of Avraham and the God-fearers. The children of Avraham, these are the Jews. And the God-fearers was a term for Gentiles who attended synagogue, and they worshipped the God of Avraham. Paul continues by saying that God, the God of Israel chose Israel. He chose Israel. God's election of our fathers, just like the election of Avraham, it's irreversible. This statement, then he says, he made the people great and brought them back to the land. This is the fulfillment of Abraham's uh, covenant to bless his descendants and bring them into the land of Israel. And God confirms as much to Avraham in last week's Parsha. He says the same thing. He says, you know, your descendants are going to be slaves in Egypt. He predicts this, but he says, but I will still fulfill my covenant and bring them back. Now, in my previous sermon, I made the claim that all who trust in Yeshua, who is the son of Avraham, are brought into this covenant and made children of Abraham. But I also have made the claim that the Jews are the children of Abraham, as we've seen in these gospeling texts in Acts. So, so which one is it? Who are the children of Abraham? Is it the Jews, the natural descendants, or is it all Yeshua followers, both Jew and Gentile? And, this is another question, but related, if God is faithful to his covenantal redemption, then what happens if some of the Jews reject Yeshua? Does this mess up God's redemptive plan? So we'll attack both of these questions one at a time. So to answer this, we have to travel in time a little bit in our minds, right? And uh, we have to go back to the context of Paul of Tarsus, of Rav Shaul. And uh, there was something amazing happening. To us today, maybe not so amazing, but to Paul, it was amazing. And it's what he refers to as a great mystery. Or in the complete Jewish Bible, he calls it a secret plan, which is just revealed in Paul's, in Paul's day. In other words, before Yeshua, the blessing of the nations through Israel, it was not brought to fullness. But as the nations were separated from the promises that God gave to Israel. 
But in Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 13, Paul explains the, the former separation and then the present fulfillment in Yeshua. And this is how he puts it. Therefore, remember your former state, you Gentiles by birth, that is, people from the nations, called the uncircumcised by those who, merely because of an operation on their flesh, are called the circumcised, that at that time had no Messiah. You were estranged from the national life of Israel. You were foreigners to the covenants, embodying God's promise. You were in this world without hope and without God. This is before Yeshua. But now, everybody say, but now. You who were once far off have been brought near through the shedding of the Messiah's blood. When the gospel is shared, Yeshua's death, the shedding of his blood, is usually explained as atoning for sin and making us right with God, which it does. It does do that. But Yeshua's sacrifice is so much more than this. It is the fullness of the Abrahamic promise, and it enables all nations to be grafted into this and all covenants God has with the Jewish people. But this, of course, is alongside Israel. The nations don't replace Israel, but they come alongside Israel through Yeshua. If the original covenant didn't exist, there would be nothing for Yeshua to fulfill. It would just be a a punchline with no setup. In Romans 4 and in other texts, Paul lays out this amazing revelation that the nations are grafted in to the promises of Abraham along with Israel through trusting in Yeshua. So first, he establishes that the covenant relationship has always been based on trusting. And he does this in Romans 4, uh, verses 2 through 3. And it says, For if Avraham came to be considered righteous by God because of legalistic observances, then he has something to boast about. But this is not how it is before God. For what does the Tanakh say? Avraham put his trust in God and it was credited to him, to his account, as righteousness. That lech lecha parsha, it keeps coming up, right? It keeps coming up in the gospel. Through trusting God, Avraham is made righteous. This is the way it's always been. And the covenant is confirmed. Paul then mentions circumcision after this. This comes after trusting and is a result of the covenant. In Romans 4, verses 11 through 12, This is what it says. Paul continues. This happened so that he could be the father of every uncircumcised person, all nations, who trusts and thus has righteousness accredited to him. And at the same time, be the father of every circumcised person, the Jewish people, who not only has had the Brit Milah, has had the circumcision, but also in the footsteps of the trust which Abraham, our father, had when he was still uncircumcised. You see that? See that? It's it's both. It's both. Here Paul explains how God can be faithful to Israel covenantally and bring in the nations to that covenant all by the same trusting. It's an amazing new revelation at the time. Non-Jews are included in the peoplehood of God. They are children of Abraham, through trusting in Yeshua. 
When God changes Avraham's name, originally his name was what? Abram or Avram. And the meaning, it goes from great father to father of many. That's what Abraham means. In other words, it's part of his, his name, his identity, that God will expand his fatherhood beyond his natural descendants. The redemptive hope of his seed, Yeshua, is to bring blessing to all nations through Israel. That is to include the nations in this fatherhood, in this fatherhood blessing. But now we come to the second question. What if some Jews reject Yeshua and don't recognize him as this fulfillment? Is God's redemptive purpose thwarted? Is God going to finally give up on the Jewish people? Let me hear you. No way, as Paul says, by no means. And he addresses this problem as well later in Romans. So he reminds us that even though some Jews have rejected Yeshua, God's calling is irreversible. It's irrevocable. God cannot reject his people, but he must be faithful to his redemptive purpose, which he gave to Abraham. And this is how Paul explains it. This is Romans 11, verses 11 and 12. In that case, I say, isn't it that they have stumbled with the result that they have permanently fallen away, the Jewish people? And we said to that, heaven forbid, no way. Quite the contrary. It is by means of their stumbling that the deliverance has come to the Gentiles in order to provoke them to jealousy. Moreover, if their stumbling is bringing riches to the world, that is, if Israel's being placed temporarily in a condition less favored than that of the Gentiles is bringing riches to the latter, riches to the Gentiles, how much greater riches will Israel in its fullness bring them? In other words, God has, through Yeshua, brought the blessing full circle so that the nations can actually bless Israel through Yeshua. This is, of course, the main idea of distinction and mutual blessing. The primary blessing and fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant is what? It's Yeshua. And this was originally brought forth by Jews, like Paul and Peter and Stephen. You thought I was going to say Mary, right? Peter, Paul, and Mary, but it's Peter, Paul, and Stephen. <laughs> and see, this is the primary blessing that Gentile followers of Yeshua can bring to the Jewish people. It's Yeshua himself. In what way can we, Gentile and Jewish followers of Yeshua, make Israel jealous to fulfill this, this plan? Well, this would be my sense based on the text. This is what I, what I think. Okay? Number one we can grasp hold of and proclaim the faithfulness of God to the Jewish people, that this is fundamental, a fundamental part of the gospel. Number two, we can frame the gospel, that is, the Yeshua story, as Peter, Paul, and Stephen do, the same way, the fulfillment of God's faithfulness to Avraham. And number three, we can express our faith in covenantal terms. We worship the God of Israel, and we recognize the Israel of God in the gospel narrative. We worship the God of Israel and recognize the Israel of God in the gospel narrative. 
The redemption of all people in Yeshua is at hand. And God has called us to partner with him in this way. That Yeshua may be all in all. That he may be, as it says in Luke, a light to the Gentiles and the glory of his, of, of his people, Israel. Amen.